I want to continue on this morning in the series that I've been going through. And again, I don't want to rehash. This is the sixth sermon in that series, so I don't want to rehash the first five. Um, But I would encourage you to go listen to them on the podcast. And they all are kind of under the umbrella of uh, understanding what we believe is Primitive Baptist and to uh, further solidify uh, in your minds uh, that it is biblical and uh, to maybe help you uh, be able to teach others uh, if those questions arise. And to me, they are, uh, and I should have said this from the beginning, um, but they, are, they do build on each other, in my opinion. They're, they're uh, you know, you start with one, and, and really to get to the second one, you know, you really need to have some understanding of the first, uh, you know, uh, topic that we discussed, which was the authority of God's Word. And so we went through the authority of God's word and the sovereignty of God, and we went through um, depravity of man after the fall. We went through uh, God's choice and election, and then we went uh, into the atonement last week. And so they all build on one another. If you were talking to somebody and you just jumped maybe straight into, uh, you know, election, you're going to have a real difficult time getting them to understand that unless you have laid some groundwork there. And having said that, I would also say this. <clears throat> Don't expect somebody to get this overnight. Um, a lot of people have been taught something their whole life, and it's very hard sometimes for them to turn that loose and to see clearly the things that I've been talking about. So the Bible talks about here a little and there a little. So uh, if you are talking with somebody about these things, be patient uh, and, and teach in humility and give a little bit here and let that soak in and answer questions before you move on to the building block. You'll uh, certainly smother or chase people away if you just kind of dump it all on at one time. So today in the sixth, uh, the sixth uh, topic that I wanted to discuss is what we would call the new birth. Um, One of the things that I noticed when I began to talk to people about what the Primitive Baptists believe is when uh, you you go back to the the uh, third sermon that that I preached on about depravity, and in in that subject we talked about man in his fallen state uh, does not have the ability or the desire to come to God or to know God, and, and the Bible is full of scriptures to support that. Uh, he, he is his own God, and he does what he wants to do, and he's not interested in God. And as I would talk to people about um, depravity and things like that, one of the things that I noticed people would say is, they would, well, I don't think that's true at all. They would say, I've, I've seen in myself and I've seen in other people, I've, I've definitely seen a desire to know the Lord and a desire to seek the Lord and, and to, to pray and to read the Bible. I saw all those things in my life and others' lives, and I felt those things uh, before I was born again. And what we realize is the time in their life that they are identifying as being born again is not actually when they were born again. Okay? The new birth would come first, and then all those other things come after. So, when we talked about depravity and the inability of man to, to seek after God or have any interest in God, here's the question, and it's a valid question those people bring up. Why are you here this morning? 
All right, if man is totally, was totally depraved from the garden, uh, the fall in the garden, and has no interest of God, don't, you have an interest in God, most likely, or you would not be here. So you don't fit that description of the depravity that we've talked about. You can go out and talk to other people and see the goodness in them and the, and the, the things of the Spirit in them, and they don't fit the picture of depravity. And so why is that? It's because what the Bible speaks about, it's a process uh, that, we, that the Bible describes as being born again. Now, it's important to understand that. And I, I know that this may seem very elementary to some of you. and be like, yeah, I got that check. Yeah, you might. But the person you talk to tomorrow might not. So doesn't it need to be elementary? Doesn't it need to be something simple that we can understand and explain to others? So... If total depravity puts us in that condition, how is it that there are people that no longer suffer from that condition? Well, it's because something happened to them. And the Bible says that is a new birth. That is being born again. And so that is something that we want to understand uh, this morning and, and look at some things about being born again. To be born again, that is a biblical term. You can find it multiple times in the Bible. And that simply means to be born again. It means to be born into spiritual life now you are born everybody in here was born into a physical life correct you if you if you weren't we need to talk i don't know how you're here at some point everybody's mother everybody in this room has a mother and at some point she gave birth to you and when that happened you you have you had a physical birth you were brought into this world and physically, your arms flapped, your feet kicked, you cried, your eyes opened. That's physical. To be born again is not to, as, as you read in John, the third chapter, when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus, to be born again is not a rebirth of your physical being. It's another type of birth of your being, and that is the birth of your spirit, your spiritual birth. Why do we need a spiritual birth? Because we died spiritually in the garden. We died in Adam. If you remember, we go back way back to a few of those other sermons where it talked about by the obedience of one, many were made sinners. That it was the, the, uh, that Adam brought that fallen dead spiritual state upon us. And in Ephesians, the second chapter, it talks about being dead in trespasses and sins. So, being dead in trespasses and sins, spiritual death describes the depravity of man. It describes that state. So to be born again is to come out of that state. Now, <clears throat> into a state of spiritual life where you're no longer imprisoned by depravity. So <clears throat> a lot of times you'll, you'll hear people ask you, well, if what you say is true, how do I know if I... And one of, going back to the other sermons, one of the elect. How do I know that? Well, the easiest way to do that is to, to look at some of the, the feelings that you have towards God. If you have feelings towards God, if there's a conviction in your heart over your, the sin that you've committed, if there's some sort of desire to call out to God, to seek after God, those do not scribe, describe somebody that is spiritually dead. That describes somebody that's been brought to spiritual life. Here's a really dumb way to put it. How do you describe, how do you know if you're alive? 
Well, I know right now that I'm alive because there are certain things going on with me physically that testify to that. I'm alive because I'm speaking. I'm alive because my arms are moving, my eyes are blinking, my heart is beating. All those things testify you are alive. So what about spiritual life? There are things that testify to that too. And we'll get to that in just a minute. But I want to look at a few things that the Bible says about being born again. Turn to John the third chapter for me. For just a second about being born again. And I'm not going to read all of this for the sake of time. One thing the Bible tells us about being born again is that unless, unless you have been born again, you cannot experience the things of the kingdom of God. Now, when I say kingdom of God, I do not mean just heaven. I don't have time to explain all that. But the, Jesus says that the kingdom of God cometh not with observation. He says the kingdom of God lies within you. He said the kingdom of God is at hand, meaning it is here. And now the kingdom of God is heaven, but it expands so much further than that. That it is wherever the Lord is ruling and reigning is the kingdom of heaven. Is the Lord ruling and reigning right now at Bethlehem Church? I believe he is. And you're sitting in the kingdom of God. You are experiencing the kingdom of God. But unless you've been born again, you cannot experience that. And that's what Jesus says to Nicodemus. He says, Jesus answered and said unto him, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Now, that is not meaning see with your eyes. If you remember multiple times in the Bible, um, if you remember Enoch, in the book of Hebrews, it says that he was translated into heaven that he would not see death. That means to experience death. And there was a prophet uh, in the time in the temple in the, uh, before um, uh, uh, when the time that Jesus was born, that the Lord had told him, you will not see death until you have seen the Savior. What does that mean? That means that he would not experience death. And this says that if you accept a man be born again, he cannot experience the kingdom of God. So that's one thing we know. If you've ever experienced the kingdom of God, that's an evidence that you've been born again. Another thing we know about being born again or the new birth is that it is the work of the spirit of God. The Bible tells us uh, in uh, John, the third chapter and verse eight, it, speak, it says, so is everyone that is born of the Spirit. You were born of your mother. But the spiritual life that we receive is a birth from the Spirit. It says, uh, the Bible says that which is flesh gives birth to flesh. That's our mamas and us. That which is the Spirit gives birth to the Spirit. So the spiritual life that you have comes from the Spirit of God. That's why it talks about being born of the Spirit. It also tells us in the same verse that it's like the wind blowing. That we've, we've said that many times, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and now hearest the sound thereof, but canst not, canst not tell whence it cometh and whither it goeth. So is everyone that is born of the Spirit of God. If I could tell, if I could tell you where the wind was coming from and where it was going all the time, I would have killed a lot more deer. Yeah. 
You deer hunters know what I'm talking about. But by jingos, I go sit in that stand, and, I, and the weatherman tells me the wind's going to be coming right out of the north, so I sit with the wind in my face coming from the north, and as soon as I sit down, I'll be there five minutes, I'll feel it blowing on the back of my neck, blowing straight towards where I'm looking. Because I don't know, and neither do they, because the wind goes where it will. It's on a circuit the Bible talks about, and it's just going to here to and fro. We don't know where it's coming or where it's going. And that's a description of the new birth. We don't know where it's, we don't know where the Spirit of God is borning somebody right now, or where he'll be doing it this afternoon, or where he did it five minutes ago. Now, we also know the end result of being born again. If you turn over to the book of Galatians, and, and don't forget, I'm giving you guys a crash course here on all this. We know the end result of being born again is that that spirit that brings a spiritual life to you through the new birth, that spirit that now dwells inside of you is capable of bringing forth fruit through you that otherwise you could not have had. And, that's the, and there's nine, but the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, and temperance. That's the ninefold fruit of the Spirit that come forth from somebody. Now, can we act in such a way as a born-again child of God that, that we, we squish all that fruit? Sure. Yes, we absolutely can. But notice one of those things is faith. Faith generates belief. If you have belief in a God that you cannot see, it is because you have a faith that was given to you by the Spirit of God when the wind of the Spirit blew upon you, if I can say it that way. Amen. And that's where that comes from. Now, again, I'm hustling through these. That's some things that we know about the Spirit of God. That's the things we know about the new birth. I want to look at the how of the new birth. One of the best ways to explain the new birth is as a resurrection. It's a bringing a something dead back to life. And we can find that in John the 11th chapter in a physical sense. If you remember in John the 11th chapter, there's a man named Lazarus who is dead physically. And I've said many times before, when Lazarus was dead physically, the Bible says he had been dead long enough that he had started to stink. Now, is Lazarus in any way aware of what's going on around him? Does he know how hot it is, how cold it is, what people are standing there, who's crying, who's laughing, who's, you know, over here distracted? Do they know, does he know what he's been wrapped up in? Does he know where he's laying? He doesn't know any of those things because as the Bible says, the dead know not anything. He knows nothing. He's dead. Up until Jesus comes along and Jesus comes up to him and it says, and when he had thus spoken, this is Jesus, when Jesus had thus spoken, he cried with a loud voice, Lazarus, come forth. Now, Lazarus didn't make a conscious decision to hear him because he was dead and his brain wasn't even working. 
This is what we call an involuntary obedience. And a good example of that right now is your heart beating. Not a single person in here is telling your heart to beat. It does it involuntarily. Now, I just told my hand to raise and I told my hand to go down. But I never told my heart to beat and I never have. It's beating involuntarily on its own without me having to tell it to do so. Lazarus is an example of involuntary obedience. He was not conscious of the command. He involuntarily, because he was dead, he involuntarily at the power of the voice of the Son of God came from death to life. That's a resurrection. In the same way, spiritually speaking, it is the voice of the Son of God at His appointed time that speaks to a child of God and says, spiritually speaking, come forth. And all of a sudden, this dead spiritual person with involuntary obedience, all of a sudden is a new creature. As far as Lazarus knows, he was dead until the Lord popped him back up. It's the same way, spiritually speaking. In John, the fifth chapter, notice this. John says this. In John, the fifth chapter, in verse 25, it says, Verily, verily, I say unto you, again, Jesus speaking, the hour is coming and now is. That means something is going to be present in our future, but some, the same thing that is going to be happening is already happening. Now, he says, the hour is coming and now is when the dead shall, that's the spiritually dead, shall hear the voice of the Son of God, and they that hear shall live. Okay? Lazarus heard the voice of the Son of God, and he lived from a physical standpoint, but this is talking also about a spiritual resurrection by the voice of the Son of God. And it goes on and says, Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming. Only This is only in the future in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and they that sh and they and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation so it's talking about a here and now resurrection that's the new birth but it's also talking about a future resurre resurrection which is our physical bodies when the lord comes back and calls us all now let me give you a good example of that super quick Acts the ninth chapter. Do you remember when Saul of Tarsus was going to uh, imprison Christians? Um, it says, <clears throat> And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against, get that now, against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest. Is, is, is Saul here, is he, is he thinking about good things? Is he exercising love? Is he exercising joy and long-suffering and temperance? No. By his own admission, he says, I wreaked havoc on the church. And he says, and it says here that he was breathing out threatenings and slaughters. And he desired and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. He is taking, he is going to imprison God's people. 
And as he journeyed, he came near to Dam near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth. I want you to think about the wind starting to blow now. And he fell to the earth and heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, Who art thou, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. And he trembling and astonished said, Lord, what will thou have me do? Is there any quicker uh, uh, more defined change in somebody in the Bible than this? How do you go from breathing out threatenings and slaughter with imprisoning God's people on your heart one instant and the next instant going to the ground and saying, Lord, what will you have me do? What would he have me do? He, he, he began right here with the journey to become one of the greatest preachers of all time. In an instant, just like that. Why? Because the Spirit of God had blown across him like a wind. And as it says in Ezekiel, he gave him a new heart. He gave him a new spirit. And if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. This man was something completely different from what he was because the voice of the Son of God said, live. You could also go to the thief on the cross that the Bible tells us as he's hanging there. He is actually cursing the Son of God. And in another instant, he goes from cursing the Son of God to really in about three or four phrases preaching an incredible sermon. Acknowledging that he was a sinner. Acknowledging that Christ was the Son of God. Acknowledging that Christ was, the, was eternal. Acknowledging that death could not hold him. And he said, Lord, remember me when you're in paradise. What an instantaneous change. You say, well, Lord, Luke, I've never experienced anything like that. Well, praise God. Because maybe the wind blew on you in the womb of your mother. Maybe the wind of the Spirit of God blew on you at such a young age. All you've ever known is a desire to follow the Lord. Praise God. I know people that are not like that. I know people who have had changes very similar to what Saul and the thief had. Caring nothing about God and then all of a sudden something happens. And they begin to think spiritual things and, and questions pop in their mind. And they, for some reason, they've never had a desire to be in the house of God, but all of a sudden they do. Because just like he said, Lazarus come forth and he came to a physical life, these people have been brought to spiritual life. And I trust you have too is why you're here today. Now, that's the how of it. And that's the fast, quick version of the how. We can always talk more about it because I love to talk about it. Let's get to the why. Why did he do this? Why did he breathe on his people with his spirit at some point in their life from conception to death and make them new creatures? Why didn't he just leave them like they were in their rotten, fallen state? They've been chosen. They've been redeemed and atoned for. Why, why go another step and give them some sort of spiritual divine nature here and now why do that well if you read in Matthew the fifth chapter in verse 13 it says ye are the salt of the earth but if the salt have lost his savor wherewith shall it be salted it is thenceforth good for nothing but to be cast out and be trodden under the foot of men ye are the light of the world 
A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle and put it under a bushel, but on a candlestick, and it giveth light unto all that are in the house. Listen to this now. Why does the Lord, why did he choose to bring a new birth to his people? Why did he choose to bring a spiritual resurrection and fill them with the fruit of his spirit? Why did he do that? Knowing that we're just going to live our three score and ten and die. And it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Are you with me? The Lord bringing us into a spiritual life and giving us the fruit of His Spirit is so that we may let that fruit shine. Not for our own being, but that men may see our good works and glorify God. You see, the Bible is very clear that God will receive his glory. And I believe that's why he brought us into spiritual life on this earth is to give him glory. The Bible says that we're salt. Salt brings a little bit of flavor to things, right? Aren't you glad that there are born again children of God in this world? If there were not, we probably would have all killed each other already. But another thing I like about salt. You ever had a heard the expression they're just rubbing salt in my wound do you know that every time we exhibit the fruit of the spirit we're casting salt out there and it it brings a wonderful flavor to the spiritual things of the world but it rubs something in satan's wounds that he cannot stand he cannot stand for your salt of faith and your salt of joy and your salt of love to be rubbed into his wounds. We're salt. We're also light. And we need to let our light so shine before men so that they may see what we do and glorify God, not us. Now, let me close with this. If you're sitting here this morning, if you know people and they have the fruit of the Spirit inside of them, or if you've seen the fruit of the Spirit inside of them at some point in their life, that is the evidence that the voice of the Son of God has spoken to them like the wind and brought them into a spiritual life. Now, they may go get to a point in their life where they stop producing fruit. Maybe the world, the world entangles them up and drags them down and they quit producing fruit. That does not make them not a child of God. It just makes them one that's not bringing forth fruit. It makes them one that's not casting out salt and casting out light. If you believe these things, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, I don't care if you don't even believe what the primitive Baptists believe. If you believe that the Lord Jesus Christ is the Son of God and that you're a sinner and that He died and was resurrected, that is an evidence you are His. Amen. We can disagree on points of doctrine, but we can't disagree on that. Amen. And I hope you rejoice in that, and I hope that gives a little bit of clarity to the new birth, and I hope that's been profitable. Please pray for Brother Tim as he comes.